Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Seven years ago, the Flint water crisis was first reported here at MLive. Fast forward to 2021, there are still water lines being replaced in the city of Flint. On today's episode, we talk to reporter Ron Fonger and news leader in Flint, Roberto Acosta, about the new charges against nine individuals, including Governor Snyder, in the Flint water crisis and the settlement connected to the public health disaster that is the Flint water crisis. Let's dig into these two stories today on Behind the Headlines. So let's get into this. As I said, our guests are Ron Fonger and Roberto Acosta. They have been covering this story the entire time. It has been unfolding since 2014. And as always, my co-host, Vice President of Content at MLive, John Heiner. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Eric. Uh, I'm well, but it's a somber week here at MLive. I want to take a moment before we get started uh, behind the headlines this week and and just... uh, Give a moment of, of, of remembrance, respect to Eric English, one of our news leaders who passed over the weekend of natural causes uh, unexpectedly. Uh, Eric oversaw our Saginaw Bay City offices, but he'd also uh, done work in Flint. Uh, he'd been down in Ann Arbor for us uh, earlier in his career. He spent 20 years running our, our Tawa City Bureau uh, for the Bay City Times. Really respected guy, um, just as consummate journalist and uh, it's a real shocker to the whole organization um, and in the communities, too, where he works. So, um, you know, just uh, send love to his family, uh, his wife, Kathy, and his, his daughter, Holly, and uh, all the co- co-workers right now who are grieving, who, who work with Eric. And, you know, today, just to, to kick off, we're, we're here to talk about uh, news developments in Flint with the charges and the Flint water crisis uh, and also the water settlement uh, that's moving through courts. We have with us uh, news leader Roberto Acosta for Flint and, and reporter Ron Fonger, and they both spent some time working with Eric. And uh, you know, I'll just give you guys a minute to to share some thoughts about the, uh, Eric's passing and his effect of working with you guys. Yeah, um, I don't kind of worked more so with Eric a little bit more recently, um, kind of moving into the the news leader role, but. He always had a, a good way of kind of cutting the tension, you know, uh, would toss a line in there, you know, if it was a, a busy day, you know, for, for editors and, and the journalists on the team and um, um, kind of learning more about Eric, his, you know, f- you know, family ties as well. You know, I know, you know, we, we talk about journalism, you know, and, and kind of running that beat, but it's a balance between, you know, work and personal life and, Seems like he had a good balance of that, and you know he'll be greatly missed by by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I did not work super closely with Eric, but you know it's one of those situations where you get up in the morning and and you all go to war together, and um, you know complete complete shock. I had worked with him just on Friday after, afternoon on processing some stories and. Um, uh, a big loss, uh, and a shock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're all grieving, but you know, it's a little bit, uh, trite because people say, you know, what would he want us to do? And 
<laughs> Eric was known for being a little bit grumpy and, and about getting the job done. So he wants to get the job done. So we'll carry on. And uh, so, you know, uh, rest in peace, Eric. And again, uh, love and uh, lots of prayers and thoughts for his family uh, as they go forward and deal with this. So guys, thanks for joining today. Um, it's a story a day or more coming out of Flint with both the $640 million settlement, um, which we've talked about on prior podcast. There was a court ruling on that this week. And then motions that are happening now because uh, nine people are charged uh, you know, under the new attorney general uh, for uh, alleged crimes in the, the water crisis and the Legionnaires deaths and so forth. So I just thought it'd be great to get you guys on here and talk about where we stand. Maybe we take them one at a time. Um, just the most recent thing I saw, Ron, was uh, attorneys for former Governor Snyder uh, filing a motion saying uh, he was charged in the wrong place and they should just drop the charges. It, is that really a, a, a giant gaffe in the case or is that just a procedural that we're going to move beyond? Yeah, um, his attorneys had indicated as soon as they walked into court um, earlier this month that um, they were going to fight this thing tooth and nail. They're going to fight it every step of the way. And I think this is just the first step in that process. Um, I would be shocked if uh, a judge decided that he can't be held re responsible for those crimes here, at least at this level. So um, I think it's part of the process more than it is a, a realistic out for him at this point. Mm -hmm. Are you covering all nine as they each development, um, each turn of the screw or, or how are, how are you doing that as a reporter? Uh, right now we're in a pretty good position. We've got nine defendants who've been charged in this. Two have been charged in district court. Seven have been charged in circuit court with felonies. So um, we're early enough in the game now that everyone's on the same schedule. Um, they all had their arraignments on the same day. They're all having their first appearances in court on the same day. So um, for the next month, <clears throat> we'll have that blessing. And then as things progress, it'll get more, more complicated, assuming these things go all the way to a jury, a jury trial. What's realistic, Ron, for, I mean, these things can take, I mean, six months, a year more, right? Absolutely. We, we saw them take, you know, more than a year the first time the charges were brought and, and ultimately dismissed. We are skipping that process of having to go through the preliminary examinations this time because of the use of the federal grand jury. And, um, you know, Gus Burns had did a really nice piece about that, how the, the, the one-man grand jury, Judge Newblatt, was used in this case. <clears throat> And that that helped them beyond the statute of limitations problems that they they had with some of the charges, because while the rest of us were worried about the statute of limitations running out, they were sitting with the grand jury presenting evidence and getting indictments, you know, which we didn't, you know, absolutely know about until they were announced. Well, I'll tip my hat to you, Ron, because. I don't know, six months ago or something. I don't know. Maybe it might have been longer than that because we were in the Flint office together. <laughs> right. Oh my God, how time flies. But we were chatting about why you believe there was a grand jury. Um, because the charges that under that had uh, been under the special prosecutor under then Attorney General Bill Schuette, Republican, had all been dismissed when the new administration came in. And uh, I think 
part of the immediate reaction to that was, you know, how could they drop charges? And, you know, you knew better that, you know, they were probably going to be refiled. But why don't you just walk our listeners through why you believe that a grand jury had been convened? Well, in this, in this case, it was just, um, there was, the primary reason was there was so little information that was coming out of the attorney general's office, you know, specifically the, the, the side charged with prosecuting these cases. Um, in the normal, in, in the normal process, uh, we had what we had the first time under, under Bill Schuette, which, and Todd Flood, which was an announcement of the charges. And then we got drip by drip by drip. So those charges were as they went through their, their preliminary exams. In this case, we weren't hearing anything uh, other than whispers that there was a grand jury that was convened, that it was a one-man grand jury. Um, and that, I think, in large part, uh, is the explanation for why there was just silence coming out of the attorney general's office for more than a year after they dismissed the charges. Um, they kept saying they were working. Uh, they were working to bring justice to Flint, and in fact, they were working behind the scenes. It was just out of the, the public eye, and now we're going to see what those indictments were based on. Right. I think you saw some anecdotal evidence around the courthouse, too, that, that just uh, ticked your antenna a little bit. That I spent some time sitting over there when it was still open, uh, <laughs> kind of waiting in the hallways, uh, but there's a lot of luck involved in that. Um, crossing paths with people who you think may be doing some business there. I don't think it's luck, Ron. I think it's good reporting. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you're able to report on it, and sometimes you just put it in the bank. So, Roberto, with the, you know, I don't want to say we had limited resources, but we got a lot going on in Flint. Yeah. The news, it's a very newsy town. I mean, just the city council alone, um, you know, it's just like wrangling a team of horses. But how do you balance coverage of major stories like this while we also have to cover issues in Flint, crime, uh, you know, politics, government, and all that stuff? Yeah, I think it's important to, to utilize the resources, the personnel that we have, and we have a, a dedicated quality staff here in Flint. Like you said, you know, they keep their nose to the grindstone. Um, kind of the coverage of the day and when the, uh, the press conference was held by the Solicitor General um, and uh, Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy to announce the charges, we utilized our resources from across the state. It, as Ron had said, you know, Gus Burns pitched in on a great story, kind of looking at the legal aspects of things. Um, we also had a story about, uh, you know, how much money will be will be covered, you know, by the state to uh, to handle some of these prosecutions. Um, so, I mean, it's pulling in those resources. It's, it's our multimedia journalists as well. We had uh, Jake May and uh, Cody Scanlon staking out uh, the Genesee County Jail. You know, so when Rick Snyder came in and the other defendants on that day, they were able to capture those visuals. And uh, I did the video team as well that was able to to capture the, the court proceeding, too. So it was definitely a, a good collaborative effort, you know, from, from the jump. And, and I'd seen that, too, in our previous coverage as well. You know, uh, we had a, a great piece a few years back uh, that kind of entailed the, the first investigation and that drew in people from a lot of different places with a lot of different knowledge bases as well um, that, that really helped uh, facilitate and, and bolster, you know, the in-depth coverage that, that this deserves. Yeah. I just, I think you're talking about all the governor's men and it was five, 
five years ago, I believe. Um, but I think it was the definitive story, and, and Ron played a big part in that, along with uh, Julie Mack, John Counts, and, and others. But I've never seen – it was a very complex uh, story. And it, it, the level of meticulous detail and vetting and putting together timelines and who knew what when – um, which is kind of a stereotypical journalist thing, but it's really important to know that they start, I, I left when you're done reading it, if anyone listening hasn't read all the governor's men, just, just Google that. But if you really want to know uh, what you, the governor probably knew and when he knew it and um, you know, who was involved in making decisions as the, the definitive piece. And Ron, I'm really proud of that. And one thing I, I tell people when I, when I brag about it is we never had a fact challenge than that. I mean, it's one thing to say we didn't have to correct anything, but all of the all of the public pronouncements that were coming out of the governor's office and the stuff he had said to Congress, nobody ever repeated any of that again after we, we ran our story. So I'm really, really proud of that work. And I think it stands up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if investigators read that closely, uh, that the level of detail was in there. Um, so switching gears, guys, real quick. Um, to the settlement and we had some court ron just really quickly tell us what's happened in the past week i think it, you know it might seem procedural but it, these are important things moving the the you know gigantic settlement for victims of the water crisis forward yeah um been anticipated for some time we've been waiting for uh, federal court judge levy to to rule to give preliminary approval of the settlement agreement and uh, what we're talking about is the state of Michigan and attorneys for thousands of Flint residents have been um, negotiating for more than a year uh, in mediation that was led by uh, former Senator Levin and a retired, uh, retired judge. Um, they came up with the initial settlement. The state of Michigan would pay $600 million dollars uh, to be distributed to the Flint residents and their attorneys. Um, and in exchange, uh, we'd have more than a hundred pending lawsuits against the state and its employees would be dismissed. Eventually the city of Flint, uh, kicking and screaming kind of was drug into the settlement. Uh, they offered $20 million to settle all the claims against it. And then Roe Professional uh, Services in McLaren uh, Regional Med Medical Center in Flint, which has been linked to some of the Legionella cases, uh, also agreed to settle. So the settlement in the end was $641 million and change. Uh, the judge said in making her decision that the settlement meets at least the lowest bar, okay? It, uh, it's fair, uh, you know, it, it meets that bar, it's... Um, just it was done at an arm's length uh, at an arm's length so she's given it preliminary approval which i think everyone was expected had she not that would have been the, the shocking headline mm -hmm. and we would have been back to ground zero um, now uh, her decision triggers a number of things it starts a period of registration for uh, people to say i'm going to make a claim uh, there's a window that's open and I don't have the date in front of me, but there, there's a period of time, uh, more than 30 days that, that people can register. Then there's another two month window where they can submit evidence of the harm that was done to them, 
uh, by Flint Water. For kids, you can register them in any number of categories, depending on what type of uh, problems that they've had that could be related to the water. For adults, you have to have some type of right. um, evidence to be able to get any I mean, you can still make a claim regardless of whether you have any evidence or not, but to move into a category where we're talking about a, getting a significant a part of the settlement, you really have to have some documentation, either through a bone lead uh, scan or, or some other method that you, you suffered. Uh, right, your your story, I think, said there's 21 different variations of settlements for kids under there's 18 a, or 19. Uh, it's you can fall into any one of these categories depending on your age when you were first exposed to the water because we know that you know lead in particular is a lot more damaging to children and infants than it is to grown adults um, so there's that and then there's a, just a lot of uncertainty also because we don't know exactly you know roughly say a third the attorneys get a third of it then there's this pot of money left 80 percent of it's going to go to people who were children at the time that they mm -hmm. were first exposed to the water um we don't know how many people are going to file so we don't know how much exactly is going to be divided up there's a lot of uncertainty because we don't know the degree of participation but i mean I reported back in October that one in four people in Flint have already retained attorneys. So there, but people are there are people who are still protesting the settlement. I understand what they're saying in that it's not enough and it's it's not justice for Flint and so forth. But a lot of people are already getting themselves or are in a position to file a claim. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to note this isn't like someone in Flint winning the Powerball. Um, you know, the, I think your story said people who uh, died or were of Legionella are eligible for up to 1.5 million. But a lot of these settlements down at the, the per child level are like $5,000. It, it, you know, it's nice, but it's not going to be life changing, right? Right. The people who really potentially could have their lives changed by this are going to be the young kids. Um, and the people who are advocates for this settlement say that's exactly the way it should be because they stood to to have had their health damaged the most. Yeah. Roberto, what are we doing still with reporting in regards to health concerns in Flint or even the larger issue of the you know tr trustworthiness of the public utility of water? Yeah, I mean, I think Ron has done a good job at kind of covering, you know, the, the bases on that along the way. Um, I think part of it too is, you know, kind of covering the, the, the background of the water situation. Um, there has been, you know, uh, obviously with the water crisis hitting in 2014, 2015, uh, moving out of that, you know, we had the city switching back to Detroit water. Um, they had previously agreed to, to switch to a, a different water source from Lake Huron. Um, that changed when the water crisis hit. Uh, moving forward um, into today, not all the uh, service lines have been replaced or at this point. Um, I know it's a, a smaller figure now, maybe less than 500 at this point, but that's kind of part of the, the situation still. I mean, we still have crews out there, you know, replacing and checking water lines all these years later um, in, in neighborhoods. That's part of it, you know, as Ron had, had referenced as well, uh, the community 
um, in kind of their their aspect of it. Uh, it's I think it's important to to cover that community, cover their reactions, um, uh, you know, moving forward because uh, ultimately it's it's a people issue. I mean, I know there's you know charges and uh, you know this large amount of money that some people think is large. As you said, it's not really when you're talking about a child and and you know the potential impact on their cognitive development moving forward. So I think it's important to follow, you know, the charges, um, you know, the continued situation with the water system itself um, and touch base with residents as, as those things move along to see how it impacts them. Just to be clear, if I go into Flint and I go to someone's home who's got their water lines replaced, those are brand new water service lines, the water's water coming out of Lake Huron that's treated. Yes. Is that correct? It's so, and it, it probably getting scrutiny, a level of scrutiny <laughs> that may have not have in the past. Uh, but, you know, I guess the question is what I drink out of the tap, you know, and do people do that? Cause I know there's still water distribution going on. So what's the state of that on the ground? The, the water has tested well within the federal limits uh, for the past several years. Um, you can take that with a little grain of salt because like a lot of other things in the city of Flint, um, you know, things don't always go the way the way that they're expected to. And um, that's an understatement, what, Ron. It's <laughs> an understatement. Well, we had we we've had issues in Flint with being the city's capacity to be able to test enough homes for the test. Um, but they have resolved that they did test enough homes the last six month period. And as I said, the water, at least for lead, um, is testing well within the, within the federal limits. The water is coming. Uh, I mean, we are back to getting our water from the, Detroit, the old Detroit water system, which is now the great lakes water authority. Mm -hmm. And, um, we ended our use of the, uh, water from the Flint river in, in, October 2015, um, and there are that are that people have about uh, bacteria in the water. There are still concerns uh, about the water mains. Um, there are still concerns about the the staffing and capabilities of people at the water plant. But at least right now, uh, the primary duty for treating the water is no longer sitting in the water treatment plant over on Dort Highway where we had, you know, mm -hmm. people being pulled in from the sanitation department to uh, help put our water system online. But the water's being treated in Detroit, right? Well, yeah, uh, I, they, the uh, station is, but it's pumped uh, from Lake Huron. It's treated and it, and it comes uh, here from Lake, Lake Huron on the old pipeline that we were on before the switch ever happened. Mm-hmm. All I know is before that switch happened, the water in Flint was fine. <laughs> it, it was Detroit water it was pretty good water. We had zero uh, in testing over more than a decade. Um, every time we did lead and copper testing, our results came back with zero parts per billion of lead. And of course, once the switch happened, uh, our level of lead continued to elevate until we got back off the Flint River water. Yeah. Clearly. One of the most tragic things that's happened in you know my lifetime in Michigan in terms of a, a public health disaster, uh, political too, and 
you know, and I think that's why this is happening on two tracks and, you know, people are watching closely the charges as well. Um, and there's some pretty, it's, this, these are high profile positions people are in that they're being accused of violating the public trust. I, I think it's really interesting in the charges against Governor Snyder. Uh, you know, they are they are minor charges to the extent that they're misdemeanors um, and they're being uh, they're being heard in a, in a district's court instead of a circuit court. But the governor all all through the water crisis, when the when the river was being used and the city was in charge of. Uh, of the water quality here um the the primary excuse was well you know i didn't i didn't know you know even though people all around him were talking about problems with flint water you know he said the information never got to him well look look at what he's been charged with now he's been charged with willful neglect of duty and willful neglect of duty says that what he did was fail to inquire about the performance condition administration of public office and public officers that were appointed and that he was required to supervise. Mm -hmm. So if the governor wants to have it that way by saying, well, the information never got to me, the prosecution is saying, uh, look, you had a duty to seek out that information mm -hmm. and that does not bode well uh, for the governor because that's what others were saying all along if you knew you know uh that's wrong but if you didn't know that's a problem also well, that was one of the the clearest of bell conclusions of how all the governor's men was the guy who got elected saying he's going to run government like a business and then he's like this great ceo uh, um either didn't know or he signed off there were no third option and if uh tomorrow am live loses a libel settlement on a major news story and they, and I'm on the stand and I say, did you read the story or not? Right. And I'd say, I'm going to say, no, I didn't read the story. And they're going to say, well, did you know that this was an explosive subject and it, it was really sensitive? I'm going to say, mm. <laughs> you either know or you don't, you're involved or you're not. And um, so I think you're right, even though they seem like minor charges, if you're the person in charge of the state and the well-being of these people and, and you failed in that duty, um, you know, that's probably why he's fighting it so hard, too. And then, um, you know, I know these people are public servants and I want to assume I, I kind of uh, assume the best about people usually that they're, that they're working in the public's interest. But I do remember uh, Gerald Agan, who was um, in the communications department, you know, how how uh, hostile he was to the press and how vociferous he was that we were, we were wrong. And, and until we published the story, then everything kind of quieted down, but we were fought at every turn trying to get information. And, you know, that's one thing I want to ask too, is, you know, he is, his attorney's arguing that, uh, that perhaps some attorney client privilege may have got violated during the investigation and they had access to stuff they shouldn't. But that doesn't apply. I mean, the stuff that was under protected under FOIA laws where the governor's office is not subject to FOIA, investigators have a right to see that in a criminal investigation, don't they? Yeah, that argument, I, I believe, is related to um, um, whether or not it has to do with the chain of evidence and whether or not there was a neutral party that was making sure that the prosecutors were not getting attorney-client privileged information. Um, so I, I don't know where, where that goes. Um, 
I'm not privy to all that information about whether or not they used uh, the correct procedure in terms of taking the information, making sure that it was vetted and that the prosecutors weren't getting anything that was subject to attorney client privilege. We'll see how that plays well, out. What about the stuff that was we couldn't get because it was protected by FOIA? Did, did, did investigators get a right to access to that? Well, I, beyond the fact that they say they reviewed millions of documents and hundreds of electronic devices, I assume they've, they've got a lot more than, than, than we, we had. had. Yeah. Right. Whether, you know, how useful that is in terms of building a, a case to prosecute. All I know is every time we, we'd get that dump of, you know, 10,000 emails on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> you'd start piecing it together like a puzzle. And some of the key things we, that would have been really helpful to us were not in there. Uh, and you knew they existed, but, you know, it's the nature of the game. Uh, Roberto, how, where does it go from here with your staff resources and staying on top of this story for the sake of uh, our readers? Yeah, I mean, I think we're talking to probably for Flint, you know, our main reporter, Ron Fonger, you know, he's kept his nose, you know, sniffing around. I mean, even when there had been kind of rumors of a, a grand jury indictment, you know, Ron had had his ear to the ground and, and heard things to that effect. So I think, you know, utilizing Ron's experience and knowledge, you know, not just in the recent charges, but, but in the, the water crisis as a whole, you know, he's been a leader on the subject, um, not just for the state, but the nation, I feel. Um, and then we have our, our other reporters and multimedia specialists that, you know, have, have kind of covered the ground, you know, covered the, the city, the community, mm -hmm. you know, their, their kind of take on the situation, but pulling them in as well, you know, has been vitally important to, to bolster that coverage, to, to fill out a well-rounded picture, you know, with the legalities, but also the impact to residents. Um, and that's something that we'll continue to, to do moving forward. I think there will be, you know, as Ron had mentioned, even, you know, we have kind of these court dates coming up that are set, but there's going to be a lot of compartmentalized things. You know, we'll, we'll rely on his experience, but also, you know, utilizing, as I said earlier, too, people from from across the state, um, you know, to, to flesh out the, the coverage and, you know, and, and make it the best that we can as we do it yeah. online. I appreciate the, your guys' efforts on this and keeping our readers informed. And can I get you guys to agree to come on here every six months until I retire to talk about these these stories got it you got it <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys appreciate the time thank you and there they go a huge thanks to ron and roberto for helping us get into two very complex issues happening at the same time as always if you like what we're doing here's what you can do like review and share the podcast wherever you are listening to behind the headlines and until next week i'm eric hulkerin he is john heiner and this is Behind the Headlines.